passion for helping her friends and neighbors in need. And as a result, the local chef developed innovative ways to fill tummies with food and hearts with hope. We'll talk with her about that today on the Know the News podcast. Hello, I'm Rusty Turner. I'm the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and I'm the host of this edition of the Know the News podcast. Caitlin provided community meals as the parish chef at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Fayetteville. And uh, her work inspired her uh, to look for other ways to help people get access to food. Our Northwest Arkansas profile this Sunday features Caitlin and her work in the community. Our reporter, April Wallace, wrote that profile, and she's here to talk about it with us. Hi, April. Welcome. Hi, Rusty. Thanks for having me. So this is the first time you're joining us on Know the News, right? It is. I'm back from a hiatus. Yeah. Well, we're, we're glad to have you back. April was our profiles writer for a number of years and, and then uh, uh, took some time off, and now she's back. Uh, so we're, we're glad to have her. She's also writing a, uh, a column in our, our town section on Thursdays as well. So, um, and, and we also have uh, Caitlin Rush herself uh, with us today. Caitlin, thanks for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Caitlin, just to, just to to be clear, you are the executive chef at Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, and then you had been the parish chef at St. Paul's. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I did both briefly, but it's a, it's a lot of work to take on for one person. <laughs> right. Okay. So, I'm going to start with April. Um, April, what gave you the idea to do a profile on Caitlin? Well, um, someone told me about her Friendly Fridges of Fayetteville idea that had kind of taken off in the area. And it was such a lovely, simple, self-sustainable thing that it really intrigued me to find out more about her. Um, Basically, these fridges are set up in different parts of our community. And all it, you know, as she says in the profile, all it needs is an outlet or an overhang and people come with their perishables and donate it to the community. Anybody can take it. I see. And and so that inspired the the profile. And so how did you go about telling the story? How did you go about getting the information and 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 and, and, and getting in touch with Caitlin and, and other people who helped uh, source that story? Um Caitlin and I had a discussion at Mount Sequoia where she was executive chef for um, more than a year. And while we sat down over some coffee, she told me about um, finding this idea for the fridges in Bon Appetit magazine. And she had the perfect opportunity when her boss said, her boss at St. Paul's at the time asked, what do you want to do that you haven't been able to do yet? And she had just the thing. So she told me about her um, execution of that, and we talked about her path to becoming a chef, which was non-traditional. And um, so our story kind of covers her her zigzag to becoming a chef and helping people. So, Caitlin, can you kind of tell us how you you got to that point? I love the I love the friendly fridges part of this story. So we'll we'll go into some detail about that in a minute. But kind of kind of talk to us about your zigzaggy path to to where you are now. Um, well, excuse me, I did not go to culinary school. I graduated from the U of A uh, in 2009 with an advertising and public relations degree. And then I kind of followed that for a while with some freelance writing gigs. Um, but, you know, I found myself kind of asking, you know, what is it that you want to do really every day if you had to choose one thing that makes you happy? And I realized that it was cooking. 
So I just kind of tried to focus my energies on that. And I had been in the restaurant industry since high school waiting tables. Um, but then I really tried to focus on <clears throat> the culinary attributes and aspects of it. Um, and that's how I started at the Chancellor. So it kind of just started building from there. I see. I see. And so uh, at one point you ended up as the parish chef at St. Paul's mm -hmm. and you were serving uh, community meals there. Is, is that correct? Yes, yes. That program has been uh, up and running for many years. That was not something uh, original on my end, uh, but it did change quite a bit through COVID. So that required some uh, creative problem solving, but Community Meals was already founded and established and up and running. And that is really, um, my puppy wants to join this conversation. Uh, <laughs> that's largely successful due to all of the volunteers and parishioners of St. Paul's. It's it's amazing how much work all those folks put into it. <clears throat> yeah. And so let's talk about Friendly Fridges, which I think is just a, a great idea. We've had the little community pantries around for, for a number of years where, where dry goods and non-perishable items are available for, for anyone to come by and pick up if they need them. And also members of the community, if they have something to donate, they can just go place them in those community pantries and, and folks can get them. So, so, so tell us about Friendly Fridges. Where did, you know, how did, how did that all happen? Well, um, when COVID started, obviously we were all kind of stuck in the house and uh, Bon Appetit showed up one month and I was reading about this idea that uh, I don't know that it originated in New York, but this is where the article is talking about it going on. Um, <clears throat> and I'd been in contact with Jessica McClard. She did the friendly, or not the friendly fridges, but um, the little free pantries. And so there is one at St. Paul. So I reached out to her uh, when COVID hit, trying to talk about ways to feed more people, how to, you know, just nourish people in our community. And then I saw this idea. So I called her and I said, Hey, what do you think about this? And she said, Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. And so I just, you know, ran with it. Um, my ex-husband and I had a, an extra refrigerator in our, what we called kitchen room. I was doing some family meal delivery service stuff during COVID. Um, and we just decided instead of, you know, using that in our space for what we were doing, we would just go ahead and donate it and get it up and running. And it, it took off. It was wonderful. Worked out really, yeah. really well. So the first one was at St. Paul's. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And but according to April's story, there are several more now in the community. Yeah. Um, there are two that I helped install with the Fayetteville Housing Authority. And then uh, several other churches have installed them. I know Trinity United Methodist off Garland has one. And then the um, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church also installed one so yeah they're popping up across town and i'm really really excited to see that grow like especially as need just increases and food prices grow higher it's really important yeah. to try to help those who can't afford it yeah and so the food is just donated when folks have a perishable item they can donate they can drop by one of these places and and, and drop it off is that is that how it sure. works yeah or say you know you made a big huge casserole and you wanted to go ahead and like portion that into individual pieces um you would just label and date it and say what it is and then also uh lots of local restaurants have really been contributing to this as well like for example over the past several months with mount sequoia if we had a uh, an event or a camp or something like that i would make extra food and package it uh and then donate that as well so not just individuals you know if you if you do something with food and you know catering or something like that and have a lot of things left over you can repackage them and donate them to any of the little friendly fridges around town. 
Wow, that's a, what a great idea to you know. Not only is it uh, is it helpful to to folks in the community, but it's not wasteful, and, and you're making sure that 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 uh, food that's prepared doesn't just get thrown out. No, that was the other aspect to it was kind of helping restaurants and local businesses eliminate food waste, especially during the pandemic. Say, you know, a restaurant makes a huge pot of soup, but nobody comes to eat it. What do they do with it? Instead of it just going in the trash, now it can be you know, packaged and given to folks in need. Wow. That's a great idea. Um, uh, so um, we mentioned this just briefly, but I wanted to, to, to touch on it. You uh, you talked about your, your experience at St. Paul's doing the community meals and those were pre-pandemic. Those were always hot meal, hot meals, but because people couldn't gather and, and uh, the way they, the way they had previously, you had to, you had to be creative in how to get the get those folks who were using that service fed. So, can you talk a little bit about what you were doing there during COVID to to, to keep the meals coming? Yeah. Um, well, pre-COVID, I do want to note on those hot meals. Like I said, there are so many volunteers that really are yeah. the life of that program, mm -hmm. and it was really cool. You know, twice a week watching everybody get together and you know have coffee and choose you know just like a whole service together of you know community. So that was really sad to watch that kind of dissipate in a way that we couldn't change. Um, but when COVID hit, I remember having like an emergency meeting with some of my core volunteers trying to figure out, you know, what we we're going to do. And we decided, you know, some people said, you know, let's just stop doing it. It's too scary. It's too risky. And, you know, we thought about it, but that means these people are going to go hungry. So we thought, all right, well, we know we can find peanut butter. We know we can find jelly. We know we can find bread. Stone Mill Bakery actually went above and beyond during that whole time for my stint as the parish chef to make sure that we had plenty of bread to make sandwiches. And <clears throat> I tell you what, it, it started with something simple like a bagged lunch, some kind of sandwich, a piece of fruit, perhaps uh, <clears throat> a dessert if you could find it, you know, pretzels, chips if we could find it. And we ran with that. And as time passed, uh, more people donated more food, and we got a little more creative with ways to do takeout meals. We finally got to a point where we could offer, you know, like boxed food with uh, disposable cutlery and things like that instead of just bagged lunches. But in the beginning, it was it was pretty difficult, just peanut butter and jelly, whatever whatever we could find. Yeah, well, uh, I'm 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 impressed with your with your ingenuity and the ingenuity of your volunteers to get that going so uh april i want to go to you uh what was the most surprising thing you learned about caitlin during this process um i think her like you said creativity was definitely a standout characteristic and she obviously has a great adaptability that she brought to the table um it was fun to speak with her college buddies and learn how that was kind of always a trait of hers and and that's how she developed it was cooking for her friends using what they had but something that surprised me was to learn that she had a journalistic background and um, kind of how some of her early gigs informed her ability to manage a kitchen um, one of her jobs was um, communications for a firm that had a lot to do with executive leadership. Um, she could say more on that than I could, but um, essentially she learned how to to work with people in, in a way that is respectful and 
and honoring them and getting people to to work together most efficiently. And at the time, of course, she didn't foresee that she would use it as she does now, but um, she does have this this history in communicating herself, and that was a, a fun part of her life to explore. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Caitlin, anything to add to that? Uh, it was a talent management firm out of Miami, and it was one of my first freelance writing gigs that um, I actually ended up having for several years. Uh, but yeah, they tried to they onboarded basically like um, upper level management executive roles. And at the time, you know, I was just out of college thinking, what does this have to do with me? But it was a really good way to learn how to um, not only manage talent, but make sure that they're reciprocated in all kinds of ways, you know, like personally and uh, in a working relationship instead of just like financially. So I think that did help me grow and develop quite a bit. Yeah. Wow. So uh, now I understand that you've got a, a um uh, a new adventure coming up uh, that you're uh, uh, planning a, uh, planning a, for a, for a, for a move. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Um, by the end of March, I should be in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I have lots of family down there and um, some some new opportunities on the horizon. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, I think the work you've done uh, here in Northwest Arkansas is really going to uh, uh, has really made a difference and will continue to make a difference after, uh, after you've, uh, you've moved to Dallas. So uh, on behalf of the rest of the community, I want to thank you for all the wonderful things you've done. What great ideas to help people, uh, help people find a way to get something to eat and uh, to keep that going and to, and to get those ideas and spread it around a little bit. So more and more people are doing the same thing. So thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And April, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, April's profile on Caitlin Rush will appear in Sunday's edition of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette on the cover of the profile section. And I, uh, I encourage everybody to grab a copy and read it or, or check it out on our website or on our, our smartphone and replica app. So thanks again, Caitlin, for joining us. Good luck to you in the future. And thank you too, uh, April, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's talk about a few of the other great stories we've got coming your way this weekend in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. The troubled Northwest Arkansas Crisis Intervention Unit, which has been closed for several months, will reopen either at the end of February or the beginning of March, thanks to an agreement between Washington County and the University of Arkansas of Medical Sciences. Tom Sissom brings us that story. Rogers is among several local cities working with the Northwest Arkansas Planning Commission on a regional floodwater study. With development pushing more and more water into creeks and tributaries, flooding is threatening more and more homes. We'll have a story about that effort from Janelle Jessen. A private park recently approved by the Bentonville Planning Commission is drawing fire from anti-discrimination groups. The park, owned and maintained by the Daughters of the Confederacy, will be the home for the Confederate soldier statue that was removed from the Bentonville Square two years ago. Mike Jones will take a look at that. We'll update efforts on the Next Step Homeless Services in Fort Smith to close its emergency day shelter and open a private small housing development for people in transition out of homelessness. Monica Brick in the River Valley will tell us about that. Also, you can meet Charlotte Tidwell. She's a Fort Smith woman who founded and operates an all-volunteer nonprofit called Antioch for Youth and Family, 
This nonprofit provides assistance to those struggling in the Fort Smith community. Thomas Sente will bring you that story. We'll also tell you about a Northwest Arkansas Council program to help move underemployed people into skilled jobs in medical fields where there is a significant employment shortage. All of this and much more will be coming your way in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette this weekend. Subscribers can access all of that content on our website at nwaonline.com or in our tablet and smartphone apps. Non-subscribers can access it too. All they have to do is sign up for a subscription at our website at nwaonline.com or you can call us at 479-684-5509. That number again, 479-684-5509. If you like this weekly podcast, please subscribe to it. All you have to do is tap that button that's on your device right now, and then you'll never miss an installment of the Know the News podcast. This is your host, Rusty Turner, and we'll see you next Friday for the next edition of the Know the News podcast. <music>